Hey guys, Mark Kenyon here from Wired to Hunt, and we're back for another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast, and this is episode number 24. Today in the show, Mark Drury is with us again, and he's discussing exactly what it is he's up to at this time of year, including some great recommendations as to what kind of winter off-season projects us deer hunters should be thinking about. So I found this one particularly interesting, and I think you will too, so without further ado, let's get right into it. Hey everyone, and welcome to the 100% wild podcast matt and i are back today and we're going to be answering a listener submitted question about off-season preparations and projects and a whole lot of stuff like that but matt who do you have in the studio with you today we got mark we got the mad scientist excellent how are you guys good man you know it's been it's been a long time since we did our last podcast and so you know i think first off i wanted to start out kind of giving people the plan for 2017 and just kind of what Mark Kenyon and I have uh, cooking here and we're really excited about it, honestly, because, you know, as the late season hit and, you know, it it was the grind of the whitetail season and, you know, then January is our trade show season. So Mark Kenyon and I and and of course, Mark and Terry and Taylor, we were all at the ATA show in uh, Indianapolis and we got to see Mark and spend some time with him. That was great. Uh, and all the business meetings. And then we went to shop the following week, shop show in Vegas. So it's been kind of a crazy, you know, month period between the middle of December and the middle of January, but we're getting back on track. And I think our goal here for 2017 is to hit somewhere in that 40 podcast range. I mean, we did uh, close to 20 last year with a basically a half a year. And I think this year the goal is to be more consistent. Wouldn't you say, Mark? Yeah, I think we'll have some good ones. And like we were talking a little bit ago off air, I'm even going to try to sucker you guys and let me come hang out with you in Missouri or Iowa so uh, we can record some of these in person, which I think will be fun. So uh, I just need to time it at the right time of year when maybe I'll be able to see some big sheds laying around the house at least, something like that. It'll be fun. (laughs) I was about to say, I mean, it'd be real easy for you to come – mid-March and us go to the lease and I could use all the help I could get. So hey, it's only count about me in. 45 minutes from here, Mark. <laughs> count me in. Um, I, I got I to share a story, a little bit rewinding just a little bit, but back to what you mentioned about uh, SHOT Show and ATA and all that kind of stuff. Something kind of embarrassing happened that's related to you guys that I haven't told you about. So one of the days of the ATA, as you guys know, like you guys and myself, we're all running around from meeting to meeting to meeting. And as we were walking one day, uh, we crossed paths. So you, Mark, Terry, I think even Taylor, all four of you guys were walking one way and I was walking the other direction. And I think Matt, you were first in line. You're like, Hey Mark. And you waved at me and then Mark, Hey Mark. And then Terry, Hey Mark. And I was going to say hi to each one of you. And right after you guys passed another guy sitting at a table, right where I was walking says, Hey Mark and waved at me. And as I'm sure you guys have experienced too, like during the show, I know this happens to you guys all the time. People are always like saying hello to you and you don't know them, but they know you. Um, so you just have this, you know, you know, you just walk over. Oh, Hey, nice to meet you. You know, how do I know you or that kind of thing, whatever it might be. Um, so after you guys had all walked by and said hello, I heard this fifth, hello, hey, Mark, and I walk over to this guy, not knowing who he is, but just trying to be polite. Oh, hey, nice to meet you. And he looks at me and says, just gives me this like mean glare. He's like, I don't know you. I was just teasing you because all those other guys. And I'm standing with my hands. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> wow, I feel like a total idiot now. <laughs> well, I'm kind of a big deal, buddy. <laughs> well, not, not even that, but I was like, man, I just, I was like trying to be polite. And now I'm like just looking like the idiot that came walking up to a random guy. <laughs> 
clearly must not be a podcast fan. Otherwise, he would, he would definitely know. Uh, yeah, I guess not. So, uh, so that was one of my embarrassing moments. <laughs> I got to give you props because I heard more people talking about the Wire to Hunt podcast at this ATA show. I mean, you're obviously building a, a huge, uh, successful brand over there. Yeah, so we're, we're still thrilled and honored to uh, team up with you on this 100% Wild podcast. Absolutely. It's, it's mutual. It's been a lot of fun. I, I was glad we were able to catch up more in person there at the show and uh, excited about some good stuff to come here. But uh, but we, we, we got to talk about deer, right? That's what the people really want to hear about. And uh, do you guys have any interesting, fun shed hunting stories yet or anything good happening on your side of the I haven't even been yet. Yeah, not yet. I, I always try to stay out until I feel like more deer have lost their sheds. And uh, I've looked through a bunch of cameras, and I, I'd say, you know, we're definitely in the 90% and above that are still packing. So uh, there's always that tightrope back between wanting to get out there, find those sheds, and not run every deer that still has their antlers on <laughs> off yeah. of your farm. And you, you worry about somebody beating you to that shed and, and uh, shed poaching is so prevalent. Really, you guys ought to cover that topic at some point. Yeah. You know? yeah. Just shed hunting and shed poaching in general. I mean, so many people have that uh, issue going on. And I, I, we were pulling cameras and already somebody had nabbed one of my cameras. And I've had a camera in that spot for 10 years and nobody's ever taken it. So wow. somebody was in there. Yeah. You know, it just drives me nuts. But. I saw Tim Sylvia just shared something on facebook and he had i think he had an elaborate scheme placed for somebody that he knew was poaching and they took it uh, hook line and sinker and he's got them all on camera and he's got them yeah he's got them and he's talking to his dnr agent and all that stuff he so, would be a great guest for you guys as well yeah point. yeah for sure so it's it's interesting i don't i don't understand the allure of it i mean like you said this is probably a whole nother podcast story but i just I don't understand why you would trespass on somebody's property for something so trivial. I don't know. Some guys are addicted to that, like, yeah. uh, like nothing I've ever seen. And yeah. I, I just wonder if it's uh, just an inner desire to get on places that you're, you know, they just feel safe because by and large people aren't about out and about yeah. that time of the yeah. year, you know, and it's you're in and out when you're shed hunting, right? Yeah. So if you try to go trespass and hunt, you got to sit and wait. So you're worried about being caught. Well, you're constantly moving when you're shed hunting. So I just feel like they don't, they don't feel threatened. But, yeah. With yeah. the advent of so many more cameras that take cell pictures, <laughs> yeah. then you know you have that opportunity to, yeah. to nail somebody. Yeah, interesting. In, in fact, I'm I'm getting more and more cameras with the cell pictures on them, and I'm getting signs that made up that make up that made up that warn someone we are taking cell pictures, yeah. and they do send it to a, a you know good to the landowner. So, so take uh, that. Hopefully, it's a deterrent. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, just yeah. act. One one question I had for you, Mark. So I saw that you you were starting your um, off season kind of you call it your overall herd health program. Sure, or, for, for sure. Yeah, so health and wellness you called it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So <clears throat> you know on a on a lease like mine, the 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 farmer he's got cattle and he's moving them around and all this stuff and um <laughs> the the corn that I paid to leave he went in and cut and all that stuff and so you know, you're battling a little bit of that. Well, I want to start putting out the supplement, you know, the three, the analogics is what we use, but I wanted to start putting it out, but I'm a little worried about, you know, the, the interference of the farmer and what he's got going on. And obviously if, if that's out cattle and cattle are around, they're going right to it and they're going to eat it, eat it up. They so, are, yeah. I mean, in a situation like that, would you try to find a spot in the woods or would you, cause part of it, a, I want it to, to be healthy, but B, I, I want to pull the deer in still, 
so that we can have some luck with shed hunting and know what's out there. Yeah, for sure. Cattle are a tough deal and if they're going to stay there through the winter. So the best thing to do would be to communicate with him. And if he's going to pull those out of that particular pasture or that area, then I would go in with supplement 365 yeah. pretty heavily. Yeah. Uh, also their mineral dirt right now. They're so, they're trying to revive uh, from everything they just went through throughout the rut and through December and January. And yeah. it's very tough on them. Natural yeah. mortality is really bad on, on bucks. So you want to give them every chance you can to get back healthy. And mineral licks are probably more important to them right now than they are even in July and August. You know, everybody starts thinking about deer when it's in front of them. But you really should be thinking about deer and next season when the last season is in your rearview mirror. The most important three months to herd health and to buck uh, development for that next set of antlers is January, February, March. You yeah. know, the worst of winter. And uh, now's the time that if you don't have a lot of food, supplemental feeding isn't bad, but you don't want to increase a lot of social stress. Yeah. And you definitely want to get out there with the mineral blocks and the mineral and that type of stuff. So if you had three or 400 acres, you know, majority of it's tillable, uh, maybe 100 acres of timber, how many stations would you, because I probably have, I bet our herd is probably in that 25 to 40 range you know it, mm -hmm. it it varies late season it gets bigger but um it, it, that size would you have three or four stations or i'd probably put more out and i'd put them on the outskirts of the cover where you feel like you're betting so you don't have to ever have to visit it yeah but the more areas you have and i spread it out deer browsers anyway so you know you think well i'll put this pile there it's all nice and neat yeah. when it's gone i know it's gone spread it out they're used to browsing anyway so i don't like to enhance social stress by putting it in a pile i always spread it out gotcha and the more you spread it the better off you are good to know it is good to know and th For this this topic is right in line with what our listener question is about today too uh so matt what do you think we li about listening to that first and then we can dive into this a little more and, and some other things too absolutely hello my name is austin johnson and i'm from southwest missouri and i'm just wondering kind of what a typical winter looks like for mark or terry as the season is pretty well wound down for all of us and we're all getting really eager to set up for next year, I'm just wondering what some really key things are that they do to build a great foundation um, just to try to have a good year next year. So, Mark, what do you, what do you, I guess, well, I'd be curious to hear your kind of take on this first since, since the guys are really interested in what you and Terry are doing more so than probably me and Matt. Yeah. What, what does your off-season <laughs> off work look like? What kind of things are you doing at this time of year? You know, it's it's this time of year that I spend a lot of time. I I have a lot of cameras out, so I study what I probably might have missed during the fall. You know, because in, inevitably we're focusing on a buck or two, and therefore I'm collecting data from the cards and putting pictures in my computer, and I and I kind of glance through them. But I have a tendency to go back and really comb through those cards as aggressively as I can, and I I watch through them over and over and over again. Uh, a program called Buckview from Reconics, and I just keep watching them and watching them. I'm like, you know what? I forgot about this deer that I had this picture of him, and and then I start to look into those deer that I feel like are going to be mature next year, and I start to put files together on those deer and learn about what they're doing. So a lot of my work is internally and it's in the computer and I'm trying to put patterns together on deer. Uh, last night, I'm, the last probably five nights in a row, I've looked at pictures till one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I'm building files and all total this past fall, I think I was a little over a million pictures that I took and I, I saved about 
25,000 of those pictures between Texas, Missouri, and Iowa. Wow. So now I'm starting to study the information from within and what days they were daylight, why they were daylight in that area. And then, okay, directly related to that, how am I going to take advantage of that deer's movement and what what he was going to at certain times of the year? In other words, was he on a green field? Was he in cover? Was he going to a cornfield? Was he going to a bean field? And then go, okay, how can I plant to enhance the opportunity to kill that deer the following year? Mm -hmm. So that's the strategy side of things. Uh, on top of that, this is the time of the year that I have a tendency to stay out of my uh, farms because I don't want to increase any more stress than they have from predation because we're predators at the end of the day. I don't want to run the herd around. I want them to rest and I want them to recover and I'm, I'm hopefully have enough food planted in my food plots that they have good winter nutrition. If they don't have that on the outskirts, I'm going to supplement that a little bit with like supplement 365 from, from analogics. How often do you do that? If you know, so that it's plentiful <laughs> and, and they don't really run out, you know, and yeah, I, that's I, the hard part. I definitely try to, manage that with the forecast like if there's a bunch of snow coming i'm not going to go dump it out okay. all right and i'm gonna wait till after it snows then then put it out for them okay uh if there's a bunch of rain coming because i free feed you know i don't i don't have feeders and i just have a tendency to put it out on the ground if there's a bunch of rain coming i'll just not put it out because i don't want it to you know get wet and, and spoil and that type of stuff so I, I watch the forecast if there's a big cold coming then I have a tendency to put a little bit more out and stuff. So I try to gauge it with the forecast. Um, but come mid-March, once those sheds are off, then I am going to start getting into those areas that I normally won't go into. And, and that's when you learn a lot about your farms. You learn about your farms during two, two times, in my opinion, if you're, if you're hunting as non-intrusively as you can. Number one, when you're tracking a deer, because you go places you would never go. Mm -hmm. And number two, during the shed season. And... I always find the least amount of sheds of our entire group <laughs> because more often than not, I'm looking up rather than down, yeah. you know, so I'm walking my property and I want to pick up sheds, but more than anything, I want to pick up information. I want to learn why I got, and that's another reason why I'm studying pictures now so that when I get on the ground, I'm correlating. That's why I was getting his daylight picture here right now, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll start putting notes together from previous deer that had the same home range, where I saw him during daylight, where I got his picture during daylight, and, and how I could kill him. For instance, your deer, Hook. Yeah. You may not kill that deer, but he may allow, help you kill multiple deer in the future yeah. from things that you learned from Hook when he was daylight and why and where, when he bedded where he yeah. bedded because bed is bed and food is food. Regardless of the deer and regardless of the personality, deer in the upcoming seasons, it might be 15 years from now, you kill a deer from something you learned from Hook. So the best teachers are the deer and they're giving you the best lessons. You just got to be able to interpret those lessons and learn from them. That's why cameras are really... People look at it in the here and now, and in reality, that's our, that that occurrence already happened, and it's in the rearview mirror. You have to use that in future seasons. That's why the cameras really help you in the future more than mm -hmm. they do in the here and now during most phases. That's one of the reasons we did 13. So um, once I get on the ground and I'm shed hunting and then turkey season, man, I'm looking for everything I can for that next spot. And I do a lot of wind scouting, and wind scouting to me is the <laughs> leaves are off which, uh, you know, replicates what you're going to do in, in November. And if I think a spot's going to be good, I will go to that spot 
in the morning hunt time and in the evening hunt time and see what that wind is going to do to me in that spot. Hmm. In other words, is it going to remain consistent through sunset? Will it be consistent during sunrise? What is it doing? I'm testing the wind constantly this time of the year. I wind scout a lot. And therefore, when I hang a stand, I'm confident that the wind's going to behave when I go sit that stand. Interesting. The last thing I want to do is waste to sit on November the 7th when the wind isn't right because I didn't wind scout that spot. Hmm. And uh, I've been doing that for several years, and it really helps not waste time when you get to the season. So um, I always say for every wind, direction, and speed, I have a spot that's perfect. And I know that through history, but I also know it through wind scouting. Interesting. When you do that, Mark, are you just using like a puff bottle or do you use like milkweed? I've heard some people try to do this with something that can drift a long ways that you can watch, like milkweed or cotton puffs or something like that. Those little flyers are the best to where you can watch how it behaves, you know, yeah. watch what it does because it, it'll do crazy things, you know. It'll, it'll go like that and then it'll circle around and come back and you just have to know what that wind's doing. That's why when you're sitting there and the wind's in your face and a deer winds you 50 yards upwind, you're like, how did that happen? Well, if you wind scout it, you would know. Yeah. All of a sudden it hits you and it goes back and structure usually does that, you know. Something you can be behind honest, you kind of pushes it back. Uh, front or back. <laughs> You know, it might be something way up front that's curling it back back here, yeah. you know. Huh. It's crazy what wind does, but you got to scout your winds more than anything. In addition to the terrain and the bedrooms and where they're bedding. And I'm, I'm looking for beds. I'm looking for trails. I'm looking for scrapes. I'm looking for all those things that I then correlate with all the pictures that I had and try to paint that overall picture and figure out why that buck did what on certain periods of the year. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about because we talked a few weeks ago with Terry about what he specifically is looking for when scouting in the postseason. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on how you how you're able to take that observation and then apply? It? I mean, are you are you marking up maps of every bedding area you find and every trail, or is this just mentally you're checking it off in your head and saying, okay, I remember there's this trail here, I saw a few scrapes here. How do you just organize all that information, whether it be mentally or physically, in some kind of way? Mm, it's it's in my mind. Like I don't I don't take notes. <laughs> That's why they call them the mad yeah. scientists. I don't know how you can remember that much stuff. But. Uh, I can't remember my anniversary, my daughter's birthday, but I can tell you every. <laughs> Yeah. Every, every buck I killed and what the barometer was and all that stuff. It's a select memory, but it's uh, crazy. I, I, uh, I'm just, I take it, but it's in there. I don't know how I don't take notes, but my notes are my pictures. Right. So like, uh, I might, like I might see scrapes and stuff and go, that's why that deer did that. And then when I see that deer again, I remember that sign, if that makes sense. And Terry, what's amazing to me is Terry's the same way. And I think Mark Kenyon, you and I are probably like very literal. You got, I got to see it in front of me to, before it registers. Like it did, I can't file something away like that. Like I always listen to these guys talk and it's like, it's, it amazes me because I, I just don't have that trait. I guess maybe it's what you're, you know, what you're good at in life or what you're, you know what I mean? What you've switched your focus to in life. And obviously you guys live it every single day and you know, every single day I'm more in the office and business and, and all those things. But it, I don't know, unless it's sitting in front of me that I think you showed me a program, Mark deer lab or something like that. Yeah, that yeah. helped me tremendously. Like just putting in all those pictures and it gave me the data back. I was like, Oh wow. Like it was glaringly in my face the whole time. And I couldn't connect those dots, you know? Yeah, that- Interesting. I'd be like me sitting down at a computer, man. I just said uh, yeah. frustration sets in very quickly. I don't get it. You know, there's yeah. certain things you're not wired for, you know. Well, you know, there's something to be said too about how 
just experience sometimes a long term amount of experience will eventually ingrain things almost into your subconscious you know i think about like the idea of like a gut instinct like we talk sometimes that some deer hunters just have this like gut instinct they know that's the spot i have to be or they just know this is the day i'm going to kill it and some of us that you know have not been hunting as long as that person who we look up to we're like how does that guy do it he doesn't even like know why he just says he feels it and i think lots of times it's not like some kind of magical sixth sense it's simply that decades and decades of experience of seeing these things come together in a certain way and noticing these patterns like you mark that you're not necessarily recording in a journal but when you see it so many times these patterns ingrain themselves into your mind and i think that manifests itself into a gut instinct or into an ability to take scouting um, data points and and not necessarily have to mark it up but just be able to add that one more piece to the puzzle in your mind that kind of you see this larger picture and I think uh, you and me, Matt, we're, we're a couple decades behind, but we're making progress. <laughs> a few, three or four. Yeah. You know, you're correct in that, Mark. You know, like I'm 50 now and Terry's 60. And if, if only we would have known then what, or if only we would have known then what we know now when we started Monster Bucks and right place, right time, the cover bucks would have been a year and a half old, right? You know, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, back then, if we saw a buck, we shot it, yeah. you know, because that's, that's the way we, we grew up, and you evolve through those phases, and you start looking for older deer, and, and eventually, I said earlier here that the best teachers are those deer that you're not killing, yeah. right, and and now that we have cameras, that's when we glued it all together. When we started using Reconyx cameras in 07 through current day, like, uh, the, the learning curve just went like yeah. that, you know, because it took forever to get to here. And in the last 10 years, we've put so much together through pictures. Like, you can't take enough pictures. You can't study them enough. You can't learn enough from those pictures. And I, I mentioned those deer uh, hook, and I think it's Holyfield that, yeah. that Mark's hunting. Yeah. We'll teach you things that you may or may not kill that deer and sometimes you're better off not killing a deer because those are the ones that push you to be better in the future they're going to teach you something that makes you kill a deer or helps you kill a deer in the future i would almost bet on it yeah yeah, yeah. do you have an example mark that you mentioned that the last few days you've been looking back at pictures from the past year and, and trying to find some of these lessons learned that you can apply to this coming year do any come to mind that you could share with us like a specific example of something you where you had an aha moment with a specific buck or maybe just a specific property that you could share with us how you're going to apply that uh, i'll think to the last couple nights here and there's a particular deer that i am uh targeting for next year okay oh oh he bet that deer is in trouble <laughs> yeah if he <laughs> stays where he ended the year at, he could be. Yeah. But he is, his home range is much larger than most of the deer I'm used to targeting in Iowa. He's coming up on a lot more cameras than I'm used to. And he was rutting in one area during the early part of the rut. Then he moved. Then he moved again. And he ended the year in December on one field and he stayed there. And generally when deer, when I get pictures where I got pictures of this guy, I know where to kill him at the bottom end of this drainage. So that was an aha moment. And coincidentally, the bottom end of that drainage is where his rut range was. So I'm like, okay, buddy, I got, I found your drainage. Yeah. Okay. It's the same drainage that Pitcher Creek was in. So, it, you know, you learn and I, I've, I've already made up my mind. I'm going to go in there, retrim that set, make sure it's, it's ready, ready to, go. to go. So all I got to do is climb that sucker in early November and one hunt time. that deer. I don't know about <laughs> one time, but I had an aha moment with that deer because 
I checked every camera on the farm and he wasn't showing up where I thought he should be feeding late season. And then I found him and is at the other end of the draw, you know? So it typically, when I get deer down at the bottom end of this draw, like I generally kill them down there at brushy bottom or South belt bottom. And all of a sudden he popped up up at six fingers and that's the other end of this long draw. And I'm like, now I got your draw. I figured him out, you know, interesting that, and there's a lot of South face in there. So if, if he's alive and, he does what he did this year. We will be in the game on him if we're cold enough and they move. And if that doesn't work, then come December, I'm fairly confident I know where to kill him. So the reason why – do you suspect that the reason why he was jumping around so irregularly was – what was his age this year? He's four and a half. So maybe an older deer, you know, older deer pushing him around, or that's just – he's just one of those deer that I think are... he was just doing his thing because the farm's not full of really mature deer. EHD still from 12. We're just now getting back to where we're going to start to lose deer to dispersion, mm-hmm. you know, because we're starting to get a few three, four, and fives, you know, coming on, and they're going to gotcha. be a year older next year. I, I said the other day we're almost back to where we were in the summer of 12. Gotcha. The summer of – 17 is going to be at about 60 or 70 percent of where we were in the summer of 12 and from my standpoint i want to keep it there because i think we had too many deer in 12 and i've yeah. been you know you know it was catastrophic the die-off yeah, from EHD. Yeah. so we have as the herd has come back we have continued to suppress it and suppress it and suppress it because i don't want the number of deer that i had ever again back in 12. we had too many deer too many mature bucks too many does, too many everything, and it's social stress. And I started to see rack shrinking, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I want fewer deer, bigger deer, maximum potential, maximum potential, absolutely. I mean, look back then, if you'll recall, I said the silver lining to EHD is you see less social stress and you see deer reach their potential. Yeah. And look at the deer, the deer you've killed in yeah. the last few years. Yeah. Taylor and Taylor, every guest. Biggest, yep, she's killed her two biggest deer since then, and I've killed my two biggest yeah. deer since then. Yeah. So taking coincidence, you're saying it's not a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I did that was after the uh, die off of 98. We had a catastrophic die off at 98. And then in 01, 02, 03, you know, you get into skyscraper and snow sled and they yeah. were giant, Giants. giant white tailed deer. They, they, lack of social stress means a lot to a deer. Interesting. Makes sense. Taking a step back to, um, when you were mentioning, you know, learning these lessons from your trail cameras and your scouting, when you're taking action on that data, so actually moving tree stands or trimming out tree stands or doing those types of things, when are you doing that? Is that part of your winter off season or is that more summer Absolutely. thing? Between shed season and turkey season, you know. So mid-March. Yeah, late March, early mid-March. April. It's still cool. You feel good. You feel like you want to be out there and you're not sweating your, you know, tail off and i don't do a lot of trimming in the summer and i I don't even enter those stands until i'm ready to hunt them one of the things that i was wanting to do on on the lease this year was um go in and actually trim some like like with a bobcat or a track you know brush hog or whatever and trim some lanes and kind of get the movement to where i need them to go so say for instance from my north food plot that's down the bottom where hook was showing up maybe up to that top you know, an actual clear path up there. They go, that's the movement they take. But if you had a clear path up there, would it make it happen quicker? And Clear path through grass or through it's, brush? It, it's a mixture of both. I mean, there's a, a majority of it is probably grass. And then there's some areas that get brushy on me. Clear, clear path through grass is one that they'll walk, particularly the more narrow it is. Yeah. Something I've noticed in the brush though, 
I've tried to do that, and it almost has an adverse effect. They almost okay. will not walk them. They will cross them, but a mature buck will almost never walk something that you add. You know, you can use them for sight lines, yeah. but if you try to get one to walk through the brush, they they'll stay it. to the cover almost every time. Whereas once they're in the open, they don't mind being in the open, and they'll take the path of least resistance. But when they're in the cover and their mind says, says I'm in the cover, they stay in the cover. Interesting. Okay. Do you do you do anything else though to manipulate deer movement at this time of year? So, I mean, an example like that, or moving cover into a certain spot, or bringing down trees, or a fence, or anything like that to manipulate travel closer to your stands, or anything at this time of year. To some degree, you know, more than anything, I'm trying to do big picture stuff. I'm, I'm you know, I just enrolled a bunch of ground into a, a program called Safe. And so I'm going to plant even taller grasses than I've had before. So it's more big picture, uh, lots of cover, little intrusion, you know, timber stand improvement, that type of stuff. I've got some timbers that probably need to be cut. I haven't done it just because I hate intrusion that much. But in reality, I need to go in there and thin them out. You know, deer, deer don't live at 30 feet, which is where all that, that food is. They, li- they live at five feet and below. Uh, Grant Woods told me that years ago and it always stuck with me. So if you walk into your timber and you're hunting and you can see 300 yards, that's the worst case scenario for a deer because the only, only food source he's going to get is the acorns that drop in the fall. So what good are you doing them from a natural browse standpoint then the rest of the year? You know? So how much would you go in and, and trim? Because like the, the one really good timber spot that we have, the underbrush is so thick. That's you never see the deer until he's on your that's up perfect. on you. That's perfect. So you wouldn't try to. I wouldn't do much then. Really? You watch that every year. It's going to get taller oh, it's, and taller. Oh, it's, it's brutal to see deer coming. but Yeah, it gets taller and taller, and all of a sudden that brush is up at 20 feet as opposed to where it's at now down here. So, um, you know, I like to look at it in terms of a pie. I might destroy, you know, 15, 20 acres this year, and then I might jump over here and do this so that it's constant rotation of brush because it will grow out of that cover. Yeah. I've had places that were quite good that ended up being not so good because the brush matured and we had to go back in there and trim some of it down and let that regrowth start. Fire is another awesome tool. We're going to do a bunch of burning this this uh, March as well. Interesting. When you're doing that work like that, where you're improving habitat cover, something like that, for bedding um, or food, do our, when you approach that at this time of year and you're thinking about making these plans, are you simply trying to say, okay, here's a general area that needs improvement and I'm going to improve it? Or do you think so far ahead as to think about, okay, if I make this cut here, there'll be more deer bedded there. How will that impact my ability to access this with the wind direction? Or how will I be able to, you know, how's that going to change movement from bed to feed? If I'm moving more deer to bed 500 yards over here than they were 500 yards over there. I mean, how, how much do you have to think about when you're making these plans now? You have to think of it. And generally when I do a cut and I'm trying to do timber stand improvement, I'm going to do it generally fairly close to my food sources that I want to increase daylight activity because 10 minutes can be the difference between a world record and not seeing that deer until he's out there after dark. So I am definitely trying to strategically cut areas that enhance bedding closer to where I want to hunt them on the food source. No question. That's one thing I do. The other thing I try to do is do timber stand improvements so that I'm creating an edge within cover and then I'm taking advantage of movement along that edge. So you can, to your point earlier, talking about direct movement, not only out in the grass, you know, trying to mow a path to get them to come past you. And I also like to switch back that a little bit. I think they're more comfortable. But inside the timber, you can do it by creating an edge of brush that you may be planning out three or four years now. If you go in and do timber stand improvement and create a line between 
hard, you know, beautiful hardwoods and brush, they will walk that edge almost every time. What is that? Is that hinge cuts or how are you yeah, accomplishing that? Yeah, just get rid of those that? hickories and those undesirables and, you know, and really get a forester in there to take a look at it. If it's a big mature forest stand, get them to come in there and do, you know, analyze it. And, you know, there's timber value out there too. There's certain trees you don't want to cut, but others yeah. that, that are undesirable <clears throat> that you can get rid of and, and increase the growth, you know. And it really depends on the farm and what your goals are long term if you want a big beautiful turkey woods then you're probably not going to do that if you want to kill deer then you're going to you're going to mow it down yeah. uh, grant always says start the chainsaws boys I, <laughs> he hates timber it's one of the worst things you can have for you know, big mature lots of timber interesting yeah if you look at his property down in missouri um even watching his videos now i was fortunate enough to be able to go tour it a handful of years ago and see it in person but even if you look at his videos it's just brush. Everything has been burned or cut. It is just thick. You look at these hillsides, and there's there's very little tall, beautiful timber. It's just amazing deer cover. And uh, to your point, Matt, sometimes it looks like tough to hunt in because you can't see, but that's where the big boys are going to live. So, uh, and like Terry's place, it's not thick. Like it's he's got beautiful timber, but he's falling in love with the timber. <laughs> the timber yeah, he thinks it's pretty. Yeah, I've. For years, you know, you had different you philosophies. Yeah, you know. I always say, you know, have you ever thought about cutting that 300 acres up there? And nope. Two <laughs> two trains of thought. He doesn't want anybody in there, yeah. <laughs> and and he's fallen in love with the look of it. Right. He always says his place could be a golf course. It's just state park. Or state park, or yeah, it is. It's just beautiful. But yeah. but I think it's adversely affected his ability to hold deer. his ability to hold deer the quality of deer that he has i mean it's his place is more or less limited to that 150 caliber of deer i mean once in a great while we'll get in the 60s and maybe a 70 but right. it's very rare to get up past that it is a lot of things affect that neighbors and pressure and the entire place is surrounded by a road and i mean there's a lot to it but i i, I had always wondered if that timber part of it was a, a big piece of that pie or puzzle. I think it could help. Certainly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All comes down to, you know, what your goals are or priorities. And some yeah. people will want that aesthetic value or want to use it for other things. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're 100% focused on whitetails, it seems like there are different, different tasks and projects you can employ this time of year that, that will help get there if that's what you're focused on. So I'm actually focused on something right now kind of related to this you mentioned it just a second ago mark about how 10 minutes can make all the difference in the world sometime well my big goal this off season is trying to think how can i get holyfield to come over onto my side of the line just 10 minutes earlier um so i'm thinking about trying to shift my food plots a little bit f deeper into the core of my property and plant tall grasses along the edge so that maybe he will come 20 yards into my property before dark because he feels more comfortable in that cover versus the, you know, short food plot. So I'm, that's what I'm doing right now is thinking through, okay, what are these little tweaks I can make? Can I hinge cut this area just a little bit? So maybe he'll spend 5% more time over on my side, you know, any little thing I can do, those little things add up. And I think um, this is the time of year, at least from my perspective, to, to try to look forward and think about what are the little things I can do now that will make that difference seven months from now or 10 months from now. Absolutely. Because we need every edge. We... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the moral of the story of the 100% Wild podcast, I think, Matt, over the, over the course of the years. Or you could just move to Iowa and everything gets a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Talk to my wife about that one for me, would you? <laughs> 
Always boils down to the wife. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Well, uh, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we do, Mark or Matt, when it comes to off-season work and plans? I mean, we, we focused a lot of the first quarter here more than the full, you know, into the summer. I mean, I think, you, you know, we could revisit this probably once we get closer, you know, in that spring time frame because our minds usually switch gears. I mean, your, yours probably doesn't, but, I mean, it goes from how do you improve it and then you switch gears to uh, turkey hunting for a month and a half or whatever the case may be, and then it gets back to that. I know you guys are still doing work on the farm during that turkey season, but um, certainly I think – people's minds kind of switch gears a little bit absolutely and you know we talked about specifically the timing late march early april because the woods haven't greened up yet and we talked about wind scouting we talked about scouting in general one other thing that i've started to do the last few years is i'm marking the big hub scrapes that i want to focus in on the next year i'm marking them so that i know where they're at because come August and September when I want to put a camera on them, you can't find them. Man. Yeah. Everything looks the same. Yeah. So don't be afraid to mark it either with dropping a pin or cutting a branch or, you know, a little piece of tape or a, a bright eye or something so that you could find that scrape. You know, when you're walking, when you're shed hunting, you go, man, I wish I'd had a camera there. Yeah. Well, I can promise you one thing. You won't remember where that's at in yeah. August because it's not going to look the same. Yeah. So, yeah, and the ground's point. not going to be bare. So don't be afraid to mark those scrapes that you want to scout the coming fall. I know dad talks about hub scrapes a lot. He typically leaves his cameras out all year. So he, you know, he'll find it and then he leaves his camera on it. But um, that's a good point. A lot of times you can't find it can't <laughs> if find you don't it. leave your camera out. So or, don't be afraid to mark it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, I have this exact example happened to me this past year. I scouted in March, I think, and found this terrific, huge hub scrape deep in this thick area that I never go into the rest of the year. And I said, all right, I need to come back and I'm going to hunt here. I was going to, I made the mistake of not putting a stand somewhere in that general area then or moving a camera in there. I thought I'll come back in November and do a hanging hunt in this general area close to this region here where I think it was kind of that spot within a spot. I knew it was a bedding area. I knew there'd be bucks hopefully cruising downwind of it but then when i saw that hub scrape i thought okay here's a specific spot within this general good spot that i want to be close to and then when i came back in november to try to hunt it i i couldn't find it even though you know probably should have been able so now is the time to to track those types of things and and just put the plans in place no question well guys i think this has been some interesting stuff um if there's nothing else to cover on your end i say we wrap it up let's wrap it up buddy cool I'm well, I would say only one quick update for me. Send in your questions. If you've got questions about, you know, we talked about a little bit about shed hunting, a little bit about habitat, but we can definitely dive into those types of things more in future episodes. So if you have questions on those topics, head over to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild and submit those. And then be sure to subscribe to the podcast, whether it be on audio through iTunes or Stitcher or over on the Drury YouTube channel if you want to watch the video version. And, uh, and Matt, what else do you have? Yeah, I wanted to first comment, we've been talking about in the last few podcasts uh, that we we're going to have an opportunity to kind of open our team back up. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten four or five really good submissions from people. And I had a guy at ATA show come up to me and, and show me a couple of his uh, deer kills on video. And so it's 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 worked. And I appreciate you guys contacting us. And I want to keep hitting that. Uh, we're, we're looking for fresh new faces and uh, guys that are already – you know, videoing their hunts and, and, and killing mature whitetails consistently. Like that's a kind of a, 
uh, Easter egg, so to speak, to find. I mean, not you have guys that are killing mature bucks, or you got guys that are filming, but rarely do you have that combination of the two. And if they if if they're out there, they probably are already on a TV show. <laughs> so um, thank you for sending them in, and please continue to send them in at comments at dreoutdoors.com. Email me there, and I'll get back to you. And send me a link to your reel on YouTube or whatever. And uh, in general, in 2017, we got some really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. I said that all of 16, and I think we executed really well with the DOD TV originals on YouTube and the Facebook Lives that we did during the phases of 13. And, I mean, we just had a lot of, I think, good hunting content. And we try to make it about the whitetails, and we try to make it about learning. And I think uh, that infotainment, we, we did a good job in 16, and we're doubling down in 17. So, Continue to follow us on all those social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And I think we're going to have some really cool stuff that's going to hit by this fall that we're working on right now. Too premature to really talk about it, but stay tuned because there's going to be some cool stuff for hunters, by hunters. Well, geez, man, you got me excited. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Peace.